Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you. Hello. Hello. Coming up on today's show, Chloe Kardashian and Tristan Thompson are officially back together for the third time. And do we have any right to massively roll our eyes at that fact? Then singer Adele runs hair first into a sea of controversy. And finally, how many friends do you need to be happy? And in 2020, is it possible to be best mates with someone whose worldview differs so greatly from your own? But first, my wonderful, beautiful, cherished Zara McDonald. How was your week? Pretty crazy week, huh? Huge week, big week. I don't don't have any more synonyms for big. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All I can say is that generally... It was a bit of a blur. Like, I feel a bit tired and like, you know, when you get to the point where you feel so maybe tired and exhausted that you feel a bit drunk, I feel a bit drunk right now. So God knows how this episode is going to go, but I had a really good week. So thank you so much to everybody a who came to our book launch and helped us raise $5,000 for Jira. And thank you to everybody else who bought our book and posted about our book on socials. We appreciate it more than we could ever possibly say. So I um I need to lie down after this, but overall I'm feeling all right. How about you? It is weird, isn't it? I feel like when you're really exhausted, like you said, you feel like you're drunk, but I more feel like I'm hungover. I've got this headache that feels feels like I drank 10 glasses of champagne last night when Lord knows I only drank 10 mugs of peppermint tea. Like I did not drink alcohol last night and yet it definitely feels like I'm paying for it today. Well, I look like I'm hungover because I haven't worn makeup (laughs) properly in about six months for obvious reasons. And all this week I've worn eyeliner and just I'm sorry to all the beauty buffs listening to this, but just haven't (laughs) taken it off properly. So I have like five day old eyeliner still sitting on my eyelid, which makes me look very hungover. But that's all right. My my highlight I like was that on the morning of our book launch, it was about seven o'clock in the morning. It was the first interview of the day. Oh my God, wait, you're stealing the story from my week. Yeah, of course, because it was a much better story <sighs> for me than you. You swore on live radio. Yeah, I did swear on live radio. I woke up very early in the morning to talk to Erica and Sally alongside you, of course, Zara, about the space between and the first word or maybe the second or third word to leave my mouth was fuck. And as soon as I did it, I felt chills all over my body because I swear (laughs) to God, I'm never going to be able to go to like a mainstream media job ever again. Now that we've been doing Shameless for two and a half years, I say fuck all the time and I actually don't think I can train my mind out of it. It's like it just comes out of my mouth without me even realizing. So when they said, oh, did you just swear on live air? I was like, yes, I did, and I know I'm not supposed to do that, but I can't control it. I think the best part is I didn't even realise. Like, I didn't even hear it. It didn't even strike me as an odd thing to do or a stupid thing to do. That's how ingrained in us it is. Because I think there's a certain level of, like formality about getting in front of a microphone right like you know that you're being recorded and I think that's across the board for any kind of podcasts we've been doing or tv we've been doing like you know you're meant to be on but I think when we are on for shameless we can say whatever we want we kind of forget that that is not the case across the board I have the audio here will you let me play it for the listeners I'm just going to literally put my fingers in my ear holes because I, as much as I think this is funny and as much as like Mitch posted it on his Instagram feed this week, lots of people have been laughing about it. I still find it so anxiety inducing to listen to. So yes, we can play it, but I'm going to just like hum 
while it's playing. This is, I know, a tough first question, but can you explain the book in one sentence? Oh, fuck. This Sorry, is you can okay. You're just dropping F-bombs on live radio this morning, guys. Oh. Did you? Oh, dear. I'm so sorry. I'm so used to podcasting as well where we drop a lot of F-bombs. I'm so sorry for all the listeners. No, that's um, all right. Is it done? It's done. Oh. It's still the best audio ever. So that was a good part of our week. Any recommendations this week? Because I have a re re re-recommendation for you. What I actually want to recommend again is Bridget Hustwaite's For Shameless playlist. She updates this playlist every single week. Like every single week she adds new songs and kind of curates it for the shameless community. I was sitting around my apartment the other day and um, my boyfriend Ollie put on some music and I was like, this is a good playlist. Like, what is it? And he was like, it's your shameless playlist from Bridget. (laughs) He had refound it and we started listening to it again and it is so good, particularly the songs there at the moment. So go back through if you do follow that playlist, keep listening to it because it made me feel like I have far cooler music tastes than I actually deserve. Yeah, I was about to say the word I'd put to it is street cred, but I think the fact that was the first phrase to come to my mouth shows that I have very, very little street cred and very, very little cool factor. Yeah, but most of us already knew that. So good of you to finally realise. My recommendation for the week is so much more lowbrow than yours. (laughs) Um, I love it. I want people to go watch Selling Sunset on Netflix. I feel like I have seen this trend everywhere for so long and it wasn't until two of my best friends, Maddie and Emily, hopped in our group chat and were talking about the characters. They were talking about this Chriselle girl from Selling Sunset and I was like, okay, it's time. I've seen it all over Twitter, all over TikTok, all over Instagram. I have to jump on this trend before season four launches because I think that's why everyone's been talking about it right now. The fourth season of this very, very much loved trashy reality show is about to drop on Netflix. So I have watched all of season one and I think two episodes of season two in two days. Amazing. (laughs) And it is the easiest trashy reality show to watch. For anyone who's not across what it's about, Selling Sunset basically follows the employees of the Oppenheim Group. It's a real estate company that sells the most luxury, beautiful, palatial mansions in LA. So you get all of the scripted reality drama that we've grown to love from shows like Made in Chelsea, but you get the added benefit of looking at just fucking amazing houses and kind of picturing your life like you were living in them, despite (laughs) the fact that you have maybe $10 in your bank account. We got so many DMs after our episode last week because we ended up just talking about palatial mansions for like a good 10 minutes. And so many people (laughs) said you guys should watch Selling Sunset. I actually didn't have the time last week to watch it, but I have absolutely every intention of smashing it out over the course of this week. There is one interesting talking point that I want you to think about when you're watching it, Zara, and I want the listeners to kind of call the hotline or DM us on Instagram about. The weird thing about the Oppenheim group is that the two directors are twins, they're men, and they exclusively hire women. And part of me is like, oh, what a feminist workplace. But all the women look like supermodels. So it's like, is it feminist mm. for these two men to trust these very attractive, very high-powered women with basically their company? The women bring in all the revenue. Or is it sexist and a little bit ick for them to exclusively hire one type of woman and I think my answer is absolutely yes like do you have respect for women if you only respect one particular kind of woman well that's exactly what I was gonna say I don't think it's feminist if you're not supporting every kind of woman Mm. like only a specific Mm. type of woman I think it's anti-feminist but I haven't watched the show yet so I'm very excited to be able to do that and give you my opinion tell me what's on the hotline this week the first hotline message we have is from Crystal Zara she wants to advocate for the (laughs) 2.7 percent Hi, ladies. I'm an American listener. I've been listening to you guys for quite a while now. And I just wanted to share that on a recent 13-hour road trip with my husband, we got to listen to several episodes of you guys'. And now whenever we're riding together, uh, we can't find something to listen to. He'll ask me if I wanted to listen to the Australian girls. And I just wanted to share that you guys do have at least one male American fan. I just wanted you guys to know. The 2.7%, hey? The 2.7%. Crystal, thank you for calling us. First of all, Zara, our first hotline message from the US of A. How do we feel? I know. Hello to our listeners in the States. I didn't think that we had a huge contingent over there, but I'm happy to hear that not only do we have listeners in America, we have male American listeners. I love it. You know what would be great? 
to find not just Crystal and her husband, but to find the most nichely located male listener of Shameless. Like we've now found one in America. I want to advocate for the 2.7%. I want to find where the other men are. And hopefully we could find someone in a faraway land, like a very, very niche country where we have less than 1% of listenership. And I want to hear from them. I want them to call the hotline and tell us how they found us. Yeah, I would love the 2.7%. A, to become 3%. That would be lovely. (laughs) But for the 2.7% to make themselves known on this hotline. So if you are a man or you know a man that listens to Shameless, you know where to find us on our hotline, on our website. What else do we have, Michelle? The next message we have is from listener Serena. Hello, I just listened to your episode on Stan culture and I thought it was really interesting and I wanted to share my perspective. So I've been a One Direction Stan in the past, so like 2012 to 2015, it's largely on Twitter and I still delve into Stan culture to this day. And I definitely agree it can be very toxic. However, I did want to talk about the positives of stan culture. Stan culture is often a majority of females who are young and they hold a powerful position in relation to media. They're all united with passion and they're people from all over the world. Stan culture is very inclusive. Being online, it removes colour, shape, ethnicity and at times gender from identity, creating a really safe place for young people in their formative years to express themselves. So I think it's definitely can be a really negative place at times, but it's also been a really amazing place for many people to feel safe and express themselves with support of those around them. Mish, I loved this one because we got quite a few emails and DMs over the course of the week about the segment we did on stands. For those who missed it, we kind of touched on the fact that stan culture is an incredibly intense corner of the internet where really intense fans of artists, usually musicians, can really come together and use their power to troll journalists, music journalists for kind of criticizing a musician they love. But a lot of people came to us and said, yes, we agree with you. Stan culture can be quite toxic, but you didn't acknowledge the many great parts of stan culture. And I really loved that we got so many of those messages, especially that one from Serena, who said that stan culture is quite unifying and uniting for a lot of young women on the internet. And not to mention, we got a few reminders as well that it was stands, in fact, who ruined Trump's rally in Tulsa a few months ago. Remember that when they booked out all those seats as a troll? Absolutely. I really loved one listener email that we got actually that highlighted the fact that BTS fans have been influential, not just in raising awareness for the band, obviously, and making this K-pop band the biggest in the world, but also for matters like Black Lives Matter. BTS raised $1 million. They Their fans were very, very vocal about the movement and I loved that listener email that pointed out that this is the biggest band in the world and they never seem to harness that stand power for bad. They seem to really want to use it for good and I love that. Yeah, see, again, back to our core point that we almost always make on this podcast, which is nothing is all good or all bad. Mish, we're starting the show today, though, of course, with Khloe Kardashian and Tristan Thompson because it is official, right? They are back together. They are back together, guys. The earth is round time what do they say time is a flat circle and chloe kardashian time is a flat circle and chloe kardashian and tristan thompson third trimester tristan are back together again if you missed the memo tristan has been living with chloe and their child true since lockdown began in calabasas so they've been living together for months now there have been lots of rumors about are they aren't they and a lot of people have said yes they are none of those rumors were confirmed by anyone in the kardashian family or their inner circle though until last week so chloe shared a photo of her wearing a swimwear suit from her good american bikini collection scott disick her former brother-in-law took to the comments and wrote that Tristan is a lucky man. So he effectively confirmed the relationship and all of a sudden Chloe's entire PR team have gone from the tactic of deny, 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 say no, say no, say no whenever this question comes up to just ignoring the question altogether. So now when the Daily Mail or now when People Magazine reaches out, they just say there's no comment at this time, which I would say, Zara, given they are also now filming 
scenes of keeping up with the Kardashians together is a clear green flag that yes, this is back on. I think this is about a clear green flag as we are ever going to get from the Kardashians before the show actually airs the truth in its entirety. For those who want a little reminder on why this is such a big deal, in April 2018, just before Khloe Kardashian gave birth to baby True, which by the way, remember that time I predicted the baby's name. <laughs> baby news- True is how the whole Oracle thing originated. <laughs> you became the Oracle because of baby True. There we go. So thank you to Khloe Kardashian and Tristan Thompson. When she was about to give birth, news broke that Tristan Thompson had cheated on her with multiple women. They kind of made news again less than a year later when Us Weekly confirmed in February 2019 that Tristan Thompson had also cheated on Khloe Kardashian with Kylie Jenner's former best friend Jordan Woods. And Jordan Woods did that very famous interview on Red Table Talk, Mish, one of the best Red Mm. Table Talk episodes ever. I did think when I saw kind of the pap shots of them filming, keeping up with the Kardashians together, that the family is nothing if not predictable. Like a big story Mm. releases just before another season and just as another season is being filmed. And here we are, the suckers, lapping it all up. I kind of hate it and I love it in equal measure that we just kind of play into their hand. (laughs) See, you're going to hate me, but I kind of disagree with you on this. I think that, yes, it was immaculately timed and yes there were dollar signs behind exactly how this unfolded but I don't think it was for the keeping up with the Kardashians franchise I think it was for Khloe Kardashian's good American label I don't think it's a coincidence at all that all of this unraveled and took place on a photo of her in her new bikini collection I think this was timed by Khloe to kind of kick up some interest in her good American line she's just launched swimwear this is a new thing for her And I just roll my eyes a little bit. I don't think it's for the show. I think it's for her to sell swimwear. I think it's both. It's absolutely, why can't it be both? (laughs) I think you're absolutely right. There's no surprises that this kind of broke loose on the comment section of her and her own bikini. But second to that, there's always a story that comes from behind the scenes filming of Keeping Up With The Kardashians to encourage us all to keep watching Keeping Up With The Kardashians. Like you can trace it back every single season. There's a story like this. So I think both things are probably probably true. I am really interested in the narrative that publicly envelops a story like this. And what I mean by that, I guess, is what happens when a woman takes back a man who publicly wronged her or publicly cheated on her. I think what we often do whenever a hetero couple break up publicly and then get back together publicly, I think there's like always a very remarkable focus on the woman. Like we have a remarkable focus on the woman in the cheating scandal to start, i.e. in this case, it was Jordan Woods. It was the home wrecker and an intense focus on the woman who chose to take back the cheater. And I know that I am guilty of this too, for wondering, oh, why why the fuck would Khloe Kardashian take him back? Like, why would she take back third trimester Tristan? But I think that that's a huge problem. And I think it's something that we probably need to be self-aware about and have a conversation about. Yeah, well, I I totally understand the argument that it is slightly anti-feminist to patronize grown women who are making choices that are best for them. What I don't like about this story, though, is the fact that Khloe Kardashian and her family trashed Jordan Woods, absolutely villainized her, absolutely went for her on social media, in really immature Snapchats and Instagram stories, and essentially depicted her as a witch-like character, the homewrecker that you touched on before. And yet now this man who has cheated on her multiple times is welcomed back with open arms and given this glowing circle of family love like all the family is kind of encircling these two in their arms and saying welcome back we're so happy for you and I understand why they're doing that because it's important to their sister but god can't someone apologize to Jordan Woods can't there be any kind of public discussion about what they did to this really young girl Jordan Woods was what barely 20 when this all went down she would have been 19 20 And they ruined her publicly. I understand she did the wrong thing. I'm not denying that. But if we're going to talk about doing the wrong thing, Tristan fucking Thompson sits at the top of the list for me. And if he's going to be welcomed back and forgiven, the very least they can do is send out some kind of message of support for a woman that they effectively ruined. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I completely agree with that. And I think, again, it comes down to how our focus is always on the woman and how we always struggle to forgive a woman in this scenario, but kind of very easily welcome back a man. 
I'm really interested in this idea of why we care so much if a woman takes back a man who has wronged her, particularly publicly. And I think I've been wondering, like, it's all for concern, isn't it? Like, what is it to us if the relationship falls apart again? I think one of the conversations we don't have and we haven't had enough publicly or even amongst our channels, Mish, is about women who take back a man who cheat on them or, like I say, who wronged them and feel a lot of shame about that because I think that's a really untapped conversation. I think there are a lot of women who get back with men who didn't treat them well and who feel like they have to then keep that relationship reunion a secret for a long time because they're too scared to tell the people around them as if his actions his old actions are their responsibility now because they're back together yeah it's an interesting one I think it kind of harks back to probably quite archaic notions that women stay with cheating men or women stay with cheating partners because that cheating partner is their financial security and they can't leave so they won't leave and then it invokes this sense of pity or frustration for other people but Chloe Kardashian is an extremely successful businesswoman Mm. as much as I disagree with a lot of what she puts out into the world and I do I think she has a relatively toxic impact on women's body image I think she's endorsed some really damaging products I don't always stand by what she does and what she says However, she's her own person. So like as much as I want to roll my eyes and be like, oh, have more self-respect, Chloe. How can you take him back? It's pretty bitchy for me to say that at the same time. Like have more self-respect. Well, maybe just respect that she's doing what's best for her. She did give this quote to people last month and I think she was kind of breadcrumbing us to the eventual truth that yes, they are back together. She told the magazine, so many people don't understand it, but I lead with love and we put our child first. If you have that mindset, everything else follows easily. We have a family together. Tristan and I needed that time to heal and I needed time to go through my emotions. But now he's literally one of my best friends look I hope it works out for them and if it doesn't then that's fine she's her own person and I think we just have to trust that she's making the decisions that are best for her and best for her daughter yeah and I think it's very common of us to strip women of their agency in a scenario like this and in a story like this and I think it's time that we acknowledge the internalized misogyny I think a huge part of it is internalized misogyny that we have around couples like this and stories like this because as you say if it's best for her then it's best for her Coming up after the break, Adele and cultural appropriation. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Michelle, hi. What have you got for me? Hi. (laughs) My first story. Why is everyone mad at Adele? That was from the Sydney Morning Herald. This was a really great explainer, Zara, written by Robert Moran. If you missed this story, Adele landed herself in hot water this week when she posted an Instagram photo of herself sporting a Jamaican flag bikini top with her hair in bantu knots as she nodded towards London's Notting Hill Carnival. Did you see this online before all of the controversy kicked off? God, yeah, it was impossible to miss, wasn't it? It was the kind of photo that I saw in my newsfeed straight away and your eyes kind of pop out of your head because you're like, oh, my gosh, Adele. Like, it it feels almost incomprehensible that at a time like this, in 2020, a celebrity like Adele would be finding herself and landing herself in hot water. It feels like the most tone-deaf thing you could possibly do, right? Absolutely. If you are listening to this and kind of feeling like, why is it tone-deaf, Robert Moran did give a great answer. So basically in this piece, he listed all of the common questions when a story like this comes up and he answered them really effectively. So he wrote non-black people sporting traditional black hairstyles such as bantu knots, cornrows, box braids and dreadlocks is contentious due to the unfair power dynamics at play. When black people are still discriminated against for wearing their natural hair, it's obnoxious for non-black people to borrow those styles in the name of fashion or for a cheesy costume. Now, Zara, what I did find interesting was looking on Twitter and the discussions between black people about this issue. Award-winning journalist Ernest Owens is a black man and he wrote, this officially marks all of the top white women in pop as problematic. I hate to see it. But not everyone who has experience with Jamaican culture or is Bantu agreed with him. Yeah, the commentary was quite interesting. I mean, one of the first examples that comes to mind is Naomi Campbell, whose mother is Jamaican, who commented on Adele's photo with Jamaican flags and claps. There were other examples too, Mish, of people who supported Adele. 
Yeah, so author Seku Mururi wrote on Twitter, I'm Bantu and we really, really, really do not give an F. What annoys us more is people who constantly stake claim on a culture they know nothing about. Adele, I actually live on the continent whose style you are being accused of misappropriating. Do your thing. So I think it's really important for us, Zara, to acknowledge that, of course, not all Bantu people and not all Jamaican people and not all black people are going to think homogeneously about this. What's important for white people is to do their reading, sit back, shut up, listen, and acknowledge the fact that if you wear these hairstyles, no matter what, you will upset people. Even if you don't upset everyone, you will upset some people. And it raises a question, when there are so many hairstyles that are open to you, is it worth risking offending people and making someone's day a little bit worse? Yeah, well, that's exactly what I think, because you're right. The commentary on Twitter was very interesting. Some people from the community said, I'm not offended by it. But I think the fact of the matter is that enough people are offended by it for you to say, you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to wear my hair in a different way. Like, I think as white people, it's our job to hurt and offend as few people as we can, given the privilege that we live in. I thought one of the most interesting quotes for me, Mish, and one that I wanted to finish on with this story was from Dr. Yaba Blay, who spoke to ABC news and she said the key point is the hairstyle she's wearing her hair in is a traditional African hairstyle called Bantu knots and I think that's what takes many black women particularly over the edge because our hair has become so politicized I think for white women that's the most important point we can acknowledge is that black women's hair is so politicized that the the easiest thing and the best thing for us to do is avoid offending anyone in its entirety I think enough people are hurt so maybe it's not worth doing My second story, Harry and Meghan sign multi-year Netflix deal. That is from The Guardian. You insisted that we put this in. I know you care very, very deeply about it. (laughs) Explain to myself and the listeners why you care. I don't know why I care. <laughs> no fucking <laughs> idea why I care. For those who didn't read the story, though, Harry and Meghan did sign a multi-year deal with Netflix because they've recently set up a production company. So what it means is that they will make a lot of productions for Netflix over the coming years, documentaries. I think there's going to be a particular focus on documentaries, but it remains to be seen what actually will be made. Meghan apparently doesn't want to return to acting, so it's not like she's going to be at the star of all of these shows. I think she will be very much behind Aww. the scenes. What I found interesting, Mish, and I think you'll find this interesting too, is I read an article on the New Daily where, which said that the couple still need to gain palace approval for any profile-oriented plans, which strikes me as odd given they're not yeah. taking any money from the palace. Like surely now their profile and their brand is their own and their decisions are kind of their own. I mean, I'm not sure how much power the palace can have if they've literally already signed the deal because there's no way this has gone public without it being signed. But I just found that odd. Also, apparently, the New Daily article said that the deal is reportedly worth over 150 US million, which is over 200 200 Australian million. Huge (gasps) money. I love that you said 200 Australian million. Pretty sure that's not the official term, but we'll go with it. I am so tired right now. I'm going to say the, <laughs> so many dumb things over the course of this episode. But that's like a fuckload of money. Like it seems like leaving the palace is, you know, a financially smart decision. <laughs> this is a juvenile question and I'm acknowledging that. But if you received a $150 million deal, what is the first thing you would buy? Like first thing you do. <laughs> so the thing is, this is something I've thought all the time. <laughs> I've thought a lot about that hypothetical question of like, what would you do if you won Tats Lotto? And everyone mm. says to you, you shouldn't tell the people around you because you never know if people are going to take you for a ride because you suddenly have all this money. So I'm like, yeah, I'd keep it a secret knowing full well I have the biggest fucking <laughs> mouth in the world. And I thought what I would do is I would tell my friends, like 20 of my closest friends, not that I probably have 20, 20 of my close friends. You don't have 20 friends. No, but you'd be able to buy them with this amount of money. <laughs> and you'd go on a huge holiday and you'd say you'd won it. Like you'd take them all on a huge holiday, wouldn't you? And give to charity. We are that. in we are in COVID lockdown though. True. So I'm thinking like applicable to right now. What would I do? See, you'd want to like go and have like the most like lavish dinner in the history of the world, right? I'd definitely buy my mum a house, but as first steps. Maybe I'd just go and buy like a piece of clothing that I've always like the type. Oh, you know what I'd buy? I'd buy Jen Hawkins' house. That's oh what God, I'd so buy. So true. And he was I like, thinking that I just Sydney. rent a house in Mykonos with 20 friends. <laughs> 
I think all things are good. Safe to say we'll never have this option in front of us. So lovely of us to dream. But congratulations to Harry and Meghan. Couldn't have happened to a nicer couple. (laughs) My third story, Ed Sheeran announces birth of daughter Lyra, Antarctica, Seaborn, Sheeran. That is from the New Daily. Congrats to the New Daily. I feel like they're quite a niche website and yet they've copped two mentions in the space of two quick and dirty stories, Zara. I wonder if the New Daily would appreciate you calling them niche. They are niche. They're niche, but like niche is good. We are also probably pretty niche. I think they're hot niche. Hot niche. Hot niche is such a good niche to be. Congrats to the new tangent. Why are we on this? <laughs> Wait, quick Why question. are we on this tangent? Is it Lyra or Lyra? And I know I'm not kind of the expert on how to pronounce celebrity baby names, but I did read that as Lyra. I mean, I don't think you're the authority on pronunciation at all, given you thought it was Daisy Doe. <laughs> I think I would pronounce this Lyra, given Lycra. Is the pronunciation you just take away the C? Yeah, so What does true. Lyra mean? What do we think? Lyra Antarctica. I was a little bit more judgmental on this name, not going to lie, when I read Lyra Antarctica Seaborn back to back to back. But then I realized Seaborn is the surname of Cherry, the baby's mum. Yeah, and you realized that or I told you that? You told me that. <laughs> <laughs> I was being, I hands up, I was being a little bit judgmental in a text exchange with Zara and Zara had to pull me back into the line and basically make me be a kinder person because I'd clearly gotten it wrong. Lyra apparently means harp. Oh, beautiful. I mean, I really love Ed Sheeran. And he met Cherry Seaborn back in primary school, for those who didn't know. And they kind of grew up in the same town and then he became really famous and dated some famous people, but apparently always had a little thing for Cherry Seaborn. They got together. I think they got married at the end of last year. And I don't know what else to say apart from the fact I was stalking them like hugely on the internet over the course of the weekend because they were just front of mind because of... Lyra mm. and Lyra. She, she still plays <laughs> hockey and he goes to watch her and they're always papped at hockey. I love it. Oh, that's very wholesome for old mate Ed and Cherry. My fourth story, Instagram model is slammed for charging her followers $15 a month to see her baby bump on OnlyFans <laughs> after announcing her pregnancy. That is from the Daily Mail. Daily Mail, thank you again. Back to absolutely banging form with your headlines. Yeah, long headline. Look, I don't have much to say with this other than it kind of made me laugh. I mean, first thought is, of course, do whatever you want. Like, it hardly hurts me. My second thought is, <laughs> what a world we live in where you can charge people $15 to see your baby bump. I kind of think the latter thought is my more overriding thought, but I'm trying to be kind, so I'm going to also say, do whatever you want. Also, like, fuck it. If you're going to make money, make money. Like, I'm not, like, whatever. It's, is- we, when we're living in a world where everyone's selling their pregnancy announcements anyway, is this that different? No, that's the funniest part. I don't know why I think it's more ridiculous when all of this stuff is just capitalism on steroids. Yeah, I love that we've given zero context for this story. We've just launched straight into our <laughs> opinions. For those who missed this, this is a story about 22-year-old model London Goheen and her new pregnancy with her fiancé, Reese Hawkins. If Reese Hawkins name sounds familiar we have spoken about him on the podcast here and there he is the ex-fiance of Tammy Hembrow Tammy Hembrow of course is like Instagram royalty in Australia she's probably one of the most followed Instagram influencers we have Reese and Tammy have two kids together very very messy split up I think it's still a little bit messy because Tammy did some not so subtle Instagram stories about the couple this week but yes an interesting decision I hope London and Reese get what they want out of it. They did explain to their followers that they have been mercilessly trolled, that they have had to engage with lawyers over the past 12 months, that they have been really scared for their lives and their safety about how viciously the trolling has been that's coming at them. I totally understand that and I feel awful for them on that front. I do wonder if a decision like this is the way to combat that, though. They are saying that this is for their true fans and that they want their fans to be able to receive this message without the feedback of trolls. But couldn't you charge your fans something a little bit lower than 15 bucks a month? Like, that's a lot of money. I don't have anything else to say. In fact, I agree. Like, it's a lot of money. I think I – what do I pay less for? I think I pay less for Netflix. So there you go. That's all I'm going to say. What else you got for me? My fifth story, Cara Delevingne is secretly dating singer Halsey three months after their exes Ashley Benson and G-Eazy became an item. Again, the Daily Mail – Thank you again for this love triangle this is or a love square story. Banger this story. is brilliant. It's so good. So for those who are in the dark, 
Cara Delevingne and Ashley Benson dated for two years. Just to years. interrupt you, I feel like I'm in the dark all the time and not just about this story. <laughs> My whole life is in the dark. <laughs> I don't know why, but it reminds me of that meme that went viral <laughs> over the course of the last few weeks, which is like, dear Helen, I have to reschedule our meeting. I've lost control of the day. It's like I'm <laughs> yeah. never in control of the day. I am forever in the dark and never in control I've of the day. I've lost control of 2020. Alas, for those who are in the dark about this story in particular, Ashley Benson, like I said, and Cara Delevingne dated for two years. They were a very, very popular couple. They split earlier this year and Ashley Benson moved on relatively quickly with the rapper g Easy. I may have pronounced that wrong because I don't particularly know who he is. <laughs> <laughs> What's most interesting about this is g Easy and Halsey dated for over a year before splitting in 2018. Apparently, she wrote her hit, her smash hit breakup song, Without Me, about him and has heavily implied that he cheated on her. And now suddenly, coincidentally, I'm doing inverted quotes in the air, <laughs> Halsey and Cara Delevingne are dating. Do you think it's convenient I it. timing? I love the I love the leak. Yeah, I hope it's being petty. I hope these two women have gotten together and been like, fuck our exes, let's get back at them and like leak this story that 100%. we're like dating and sleeping together. I also hope it's true. I just love a bit of relationship drama. And look, if everyone ends up happy at the end of the day, then I'm certainly happy. There are rumors that Ashley Benson and G Easy are already engaged, which would be such a blow to your confidence if you've dated a woman for two years like Cara Delevingne did she breaks up with you or you break up for whatever reason and then a few months into dating someone new she's engaged that would be like a kick to the teeth oh yeah it totally sucks so I kind of respect what Halsey and Cara Delevingne may or may not be doing here is that all you've got for me today (laughs) that is all I've got thank you next bitch We don't have a news story or a viral tweet to pin this next segment to, but we want to talk about it anyway, because this is the conversation we've been having privately with each other and our loved ones in group chats. How has 2020 fundamentally changed the way we do friendship? In a time when the country, especially our home state of Victoria, is more divided socially and politically than any other point we can remember, how do you protect your bonds with people? Does it matter if you and your friends lock horns on COVID lockdowns and have completely conflicting views of the world? Is it possible to remain friends with someone who completely disagrees with you on almost every level right now? Mish, I will start with you. Talk to me about how 2020 has challenged your friendships. I think it's challenged my friendships in two ways, right? I think the first most obvious way is that it has really shrunk my social pool. I went into 2020 feeling like I had a lot more genuine friendships than what I probably do in reality. I went into 2020 feeling like I would always keep this really close contact and this really intimate, in-depth conversation with about a dozen people in my life. And the reality is that's just not the case. Mm -hmm. I look at my social circle right now and I probably have a group of maybe four or five people that invest in me and I invest in them and even if we can't go out to a bar and have drinks or can't go have dinner at a restaurant right now we still want to have that deep connection and really understand how each other's weeks and days are going. The second way 2020 has challenged my friendships is that I have learned a lot about exactly where some of my friends stand politically and I think that has been confronting for me at times to learn that some of the people I love most in the world really do not agree with me on some pretty core values that I have. What about you? Well, I think we'll get into that second thing you said in a second, but I want to start with the first thing that you said in that I have found, and I wonder if people feel like this too, and I wonder if it's also indicative of how friendships kind of function when something big is going on in your life, that I am definitely more inward facing in that I feel like I get up, I eat breakfast, I go to work, I do my job, I finish work, I kind of, you know, recover from the day at home and I feel like my capacity for emotional energy is so much smaller that I'm not probably Mm. checking in with people as much. And I found this really interesting article, I think this is definitely what's prompted my conversation was with you this week on Man Repeller from Harling Ross who kind of encouraged an open thread on Man Repeller and she wrote how friendships had changed a lot in 2020 and wanted to know how people were handling that. And she wrote, friendship feels more important than ever 
ever, but in a completely different way. There's still a sense of pressure, but one that is more internal facing. One that asks me not what I'm doing to make more friends, but instead what I'm doing to serve the ones that I already have. And the comment section of the story really stuck out for me because there was comment after comment with people saying 2020 had fundamentally changed the nature of their friendships. And I feel like people are approaching friendship less from like a FOMO standpoint in that my circle is so much smaller than everybody else's, but very much like, what do I owe the people around me? Do you think that's fair? Mm. Yeah, I think that's fair as well. I actually read a really interesting article in the Washington Post by Catherine Ellison, who is exploring how this political and social climate is actually really damaging for a lot of friendships as well. And I think one metaphor that was given in that article really stood out to me. It said, we're faced with a moment with our friends in which we're having to navigate consent like people do in sexual relationships. In that even to go on a walk with a friend right now, you're requiring a level of investment from them. That it's like, well, what are you doing to protect me? How are you living Mm. your life to ensure that the people around you are going to be okay? Are you living your life right now in a way that damages other people? And I don't think... In my life, certainly, but I've also spoken to my mum. She's in her mid to late 50s now, and she said certainly in hers as well. There has never been a time in recent human history where we have had to put that much trust in the people around us. And I think we're realising that maybe we can't trust as many people as we were. That's such an interesting analogy. I hadn't thought about it like that, but it's so bang on. Like the trust that you have to have in the people closest to you is crucial, right? Mm. I think I read another article which really challenged how I thought this year would challenge friendships because there was an article in Metro that hypothesized through interviewing experts that our kind of physical, our sense of physical touch would actually increase after the pandemic because it's we've been so deprived of it. And I am not like the most physical friend in the world. And when I say physical, like I'm not the most like, <laughs> I don't hug people as much as I probably should. But the hypothesis was that because it's been so lacking in our lives, that the minute this thing is over, we'll be much more affectionate friends. And I actually don't think that's so far off being realistic. Like I think for me personally, I feel far more appreciative for the very small circle of friends that I have and I feel far more intense about those friendships because I miss them (laughs) desperately. And I kind of understand now how fundamental they are to my sense of fulfillment. And maybe Mm. I do want to hug them when this is all over. I don't know. Will this change who (laughs) I am as a person? I'm not going to lie. I would hate for us to become huggers with each other. I'm huggers with other friends, but with you, it feels like I don't hug my sisters and I don't hug you. It just feels like a weird line. I don't really want us to cross. Is that weird? No, I think that's, I wonder if that's a thing though, for a lot of people in that, like some of the closest people in their lives, they don't actually hug because I don't know, your relationship is so longstanding that now it suddenly becomes weird. I don't know. I don't know if that's like a weird (laughs) thought process around it. I think the other thing that you said, you know, when I asked you that intro question and you said the second Mm. thing that it's taught you about your friendships is that sometimes they are incredibly divided. And I remember you said to me earlier this week that you worry that Victoria is becoming increasingly divided, politically divided, the more that is on the line. We see that people are incredibly and understandably emotional about the world that we are living in. What do you do though when people around you don't agree with how you feel about this? Like I feel like it's a really hard line to walk. And like I said, we're not talking about big fundamental things like do I disagree with a friend about racism? But, you know, things about like lockdown. Mm. And I think lockdown laws has shown this to me so clearly that I fundamentally disagree with some of the people I love most in my life. And it's confronting. I wish I could get on this podcast and say that I am such a level-headed person and such a rational person that when I disagree with someone in my life about something as serious as a COVID vaccine, for example, that I'm able to rationally talk through it with them be really mature, kind of build a bridge over the chasm that is separating us ideologically and maintain the relationship anyway. But that would be dishonest for me to say. (laughs) In all honesty, I have drifted from some really important friendships this year because I don't know how to navigate my own emotions and their emotions. I feel like there is such division between two camps of people right now. And I find it really difficult to be confronted with my loved ones opposing viewpoints. When I hear their opposing views, I find myself making character judgments off of it. And I think I brought up selflessness and selfishness as a concept earlier in this episode. And that's something I'm still struggling with. I think I'm struggling to move past 
this idea that someone's opinion on lockdown laws and someone's opinion on how much we should personally sacrifice for the benefit of vulnerable communities says a lot about who they are and their motivations as a person. It's an incredibly conflicting time for me as an individual because I do think that the most robust critical thinkers are able to surround themselves with a bunch of opposing views. I think the healthiest way to live is to have people around you who challenge you and who make you think and don't just kind of heap praise onto every opinion you have. I don't want to have relationships that just bolster me and bolster me and bolster me and never challenge me. And yet, Mm -hmm. in the most socially divisive time I've ever lived through, that's exactly what I've done. I've surrounded myself with people who agree with me. Are you the the same? Do you think that it's it's a real blight on us? I'm speaking for you now. That we're not surrounding ourselves with more of those conflicting opinions? Yeah, completely. And I think I agree with you. I think when you're really emotionally invested in the time that you're in and the way that society is functioning around you, you almost can't help accidentally making character judgments of people who think differently to you. And again, like neither of us are saying it's right. It just seems to be innate and I'm trying to find a way to fight it. I mean, think, Mish, of the the story that made headlines this week. It was Beck Judd saying that, you know, quote-unquote, dictator Dan was locking us in our homes for much longer. Mm. And I know that there are many reasons why people oppose being locked down. Numerous small businesses are affected. People are missing their families. Like, that is a really important, two really important conversations to have. But I do think it was very hard for me not to roll my eyes and think, are you more interested in getting out of the house than protecting vulnerable people who may well die if we open up the economy Mm. and open up society again. I want to go back as well to something you said before, because I actually went through our book, our recent book, The Space (laughs) Between, for those who haven't seen us flaunted everywhere, before doing this segment. And we actually wrote a listicle earlier in this year. I think we wrote the listicle in March. It was kind of like a last ditch thing to try and get in the book, because how can you possibly write a book this year and ignore the fact we're in a fucking pandemic? And we Mm. wrote a listicle called Everything a Global Pandemic Taught Us About Friendship. And we wrote in that The people around you are trying to cope in the ways they know how. Even if you don't understand and are disappointed with how your friends behave, remember that they are doing their best. Do you still agree with that point? I I don't know how to answer. Like I wish I had a clear answer to be like, yes, I still think everyone's doing their best because I am so emotional. And I am so tired and so exhausted. And I I feel all this anger and frustration and annoyance. And I feel like instead of working through that and kind of untangling it, I want to find someone to be annoyed and angry at. Yeah. And that's why every time I see someone who disagrees with me, I channel my annoyance there when it's like, I don't want them to do the same to me. Like, I'm not the reason we're here. They're not the reason we're here. (laughs) We're all coping with the same fucking thing. No one, you could not find a person under the sun who wants to be in this situation. So what good is that doing me to just like kind of bubble over and just kind of spew out all my annoyance onto these people who just happen to have a difference of opinion? Yeah, this is the funniest part, right? Because I reckon my opinion on this changes depending on the day. And all of this reminds me so much of Brené Brown's like top tip, which was explored really, really well in an interview she did with Russell Brand, where she encourages people to assume that everyone is always doing their best. And she calls it like Mm. the assumption of positive intent. And I think it's definitely more applicable to those in leadership to help them lead. But I do find it interesting in like a friendship sense, particularly as we keep saying when the world feels so divided, because I want to know, like, what does what does someone's best look like right now? And I feel like Mm. my understanding of this concept isn't isn't, you know, to assume everyone's doing their best to give them too much leeway and to allow people to think and say whatever they want, but to help you get on their level and understand them more so that you can communicate with them better. And I wonder if this works with friends. Like if you assume that a friend is doing their best, will that help you kind of navigate your friendship with them through this time so you can get on their level and have a really hard conversation about how you don't necessarily agree with, you know, how they're going about things. I find that a really interesting idea in this context. Mm. Mm, Absolutely. I also think there's a lot of privilege that we need to point to as well here, that this is probably the first time in your and my life that we are having to really struggle with this kind of issue, that we haven't had 
a social movement that has rattled us to our core like this and made us reevaluate the social circles that we operate in. And I think there is a privilege there, not just like a comparably wealthy country privilege and that our country has never been seized by a pandemic or a social justice issue like this, but also like a white privilege that you and I as white people have never had to reevaluate our friendships in this way because of the way that we look or our skin color or our cultural background or anything like that. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think when it comes to disagreeing with friends over really vexed issues, it would be very rare, I think, for a white, straight, able-bodied person to remember a time or recall a time where their friendships have been threatened by ideology, because I think very rarely does ideology threaten their humanity. But I am more interested at the moment in minor disagreements that aren't fixated so much on humanity, like I said, but more on particular political leanings. Like how have people dealt with that over the course of the last few months? Call our hotline, of course, leave us a voice message if you want to chat. That is on our website on the hotline tab. If you don't want to record a message, that is fine too. You can also find us on our email at hotline at shamelessmediaco.com. You can just write us a note, let us know. Absolutely. And to be honest, how are you going with romantic partners? Like, do you and your boyfriend or do you and your girlfriend or do you and your loved one feel completely opposite about this? And how do you navigate that? Do you just not talk about it or are you trying to work through it? We'd love to hear from you. I think that is all we have time for, Zara McDonald. I think it is. Hey, again, thank you so much for your support this week. It's been a mammoth week for us and we are so, so grateful to have a community behind us who back us in the way that you guys have been doing. So thank you so much. The Space Between is on sale in any good bookstore at the moment. If you're in Victoria, you can buy it online or click and collect. Also, if you are not a reader but you love podcasts because here you are, we recorded an entire audio book just for you. So go to Audible or wherever you get your audio books. There is six hours of Zara and I talking into a microphone that you can download and listen to. You sure can. We will be back in your ears on Thursday. In the meantime, we'll be on Instagram at Shameless Podcast and on Facebook at Shameless Podcast Book Club. We will see you then. Bye, guys. Bye. Very lyrical from me. Oh, all right, mate. Still out of tune, though. <laughs>